Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello and welcome to the podcast that is always up to speed with Formula One. My name is Mark Hamilton and right off the top, I want to give a big shout out to JT the Human who continues to bless this show by allowing us to use his super great vibes for the intro and the outro. Here's a little bit of royalty money, even if it's virtual. Not joining me today, my friend, my neighbor, my frenemy, my enemy, my op, as Cardi B and Nicki Minaj might say. And that's because, of course, this is a continuation of our interview series. And it's been a huge success because of all the support you've shown us. And we really wanted the year to go out with a bang. And boy, does it feel strange to be saying that the year is almost over. But today's guest is very, very special to me. Her name is Steph Wentworth. Steph is a broadcaster, a producer, a presenter. She has done a ton of work in the industry in the last two and a half years. She's done F1 esports throughout 2021. She did trackside on-track coverage as a presenter for Formula One during the Brazil and Qatar Grand Prix last year. She's done British Touring Car Championship work both in 2021 and 2022. Throughout 2022, which was season three of the V10R League, she did a ton of fantastic presentation work, and she even had the opportunity earlier this year to fly to Indonesia to present and provide coverage for the MXGP event. What's really cool about all of this is one, Steph provides fantastic commentary and analysis and her knowledge of the sport, both from a technical perspective and from a sporting perspective, is second to none. And two, is how she got her start in sports media. So we talk about the fact that last year she was on the track working for Formula One, working for FOM, providing commentary and coverage of the Brazil and Qatar Grand Prix. But Steph's start was different than we might assume it would be for a lot of people in the modern media game. Her start wasn't a four-year degree program at an established university. She got started by hosting a YouTube channel because she wanted the opportunity to be able to share her perspective and opinions on Formula One with a broader audience. And she put in the work and she grinded and she made herself vulnerable by putting her opinions out there. And ultimately, it worked for her because she was identified and I'll let her share the story but she was identified by some very well-known people within the industry who reached out and gave her a shot and gave her the opportunity and with that opportunity she has absolutely flourished 
Steph's story, and she and I talk a little bit about this, is really a textbook case of the democratization of sports media and sports journalism, that no longer do you need to have that four-year degree and go to an established school and spend 20 years writing for a small newspaper or a small outpost of uh, of BBC Southwest Radio, that you can get a big platform and develop a great following very quickly. And of course, with that comes a great degree of responsibility. And I think Absolutely. Steph has lived up to that challenge by delivering great quality content and analysis. And as a result, she's been awarded for that. And I think if you don't follow Steph already, if you don't follow her on Twitter, if you haven't checked out her YouTube feed, I would highly recommend you do so because I'm incredibly confident that Steph will be a big part of the presentation of Formula One and how Formula One is covered in the future for all of the reasons that I've mentioned before. So with that, we're going to take a really quick break. And when we get back, we are going to be joined by Steph virtually in the Skidaria F1 Studios. I really hope you enjoy this interview if you do let us know give us a like give us a follow on twitter if you uh if you do passion drive and patience the formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive ebay motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance superchargers roof racks exhaust kits LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome back to the podcast that is always up to speed with Formula One. You know me, my name is Mark Hamilton, not joining me today. Like I said off the top, my friend, my colleague, my frenemy, my neighbor, Mr. Mark Daly. And that, again, is because this is a continuation of our interview series. And as I spoke to and I teased and I've been hinting on the show for weeks, we have a very, very, very special guest joining us today all the way from the big United Kingdom, the one, the only, Steph Wentworth. Steph, welcome to the show. How the heck are you? I am so good. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited because I don't know if you're 
listeners know, but we actually did a podcast together a whole couple years ago. So <laughs> I'm so excited to be back here, Chai, with you today. I super, super appreciate you making the time. And as we're going to discover in a couple of minutes, you are incredibly busy. Business, your 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 media side, your, your school, your academics, you are incredibly busy. So I cannot appreciate and thank you enough for joining us. But I want to ask you a question just right off the top, just to, just to help our listeners get to know you a little bit. How would you introduce yourself and what would you want people to know about you that maybe aren't familiar with you and all the great work that you do? Well, hello everyone. I am Steph and I work as a broadcaster and a presenter in motorsport, which is, it sounds absolutely insane to say, and I'm so, so privileged and lucky to be able to do this job that I love. But yeah, I'm, I'm in and about all the different types of motorsports. But as we all know, F1 is the pinnacle. It is my favorite, hands down. You know, it will always be number one in my heart. I love that. And I want to get into that that media side. So when you say broadcaster, I actually get I actually get goosebumps on my back because you've just come so far in such a short amount of time. And what's really special about your journey, and we're going to get to this, is it was all done by you. It was the hard work and effort and strategy that you you deployed to make that happen. But before we get into kind of your broadcasting career, when did Formula One first intersect with your life? I think we can all remember for me, it was Sunday sitting with my grandparents in their kitchen after a Sunday roast, watching Formula One in South Devon during the summers in the early 90s, watching Nigel Mansell, et cetera. But in your case, when did F1 first intersect with your life? And at what point did you start to think that, hey, this is something pretty cool and something I might be a little, I might be quite interested in? Well, it's actually a really interesting story because my parents and my brother have always loved F1. My parents, you know, bonded over F1 when they were dating in the 90s and they, so they just loved it. But I never really got on board with it. It was always on in the house. I I didn't really care for it at all when I was, you know, in my early stages of childhood. Um, But as I went to high school, which in the UK is like from ages 11 to 16, my mum would do my hair every, every Sunday night. So she would be braiding it and it would happen on a Sunday. And guess what everyone was watching on a Sunday? They were all watching the F1. So I had to sit there and watch these cars going around in circles, even though I wasn't interested. And I can tell you when I picked it up because Jensen Button and Roman Grosjean were racing and they were my two favourite drivers at the time. And that's when I started paying attention. So it's like 2012, maybe, that I actually started picking up on what was going on. Uh, but still wasn't really interested, didn't really care. And it wasn't until about 2017 that I, you know, really made a conscious effort to to watch F1 with my family because I was about to go off to uni. I wanted to spend more time with my dad. I wasn't interested in football at the time. So I was like, yep, F1, that's what I'm going to watch. And I remember watching the 2017 Azerbaijan Grand Prix and it it still remains one of my favourite, favourite races. But yeah, and, and you know, it's just snowballed ever since. Did you, and I think maybe you just touched on this a little bit, but it's interesting because when we talk to a lot of people about their F1 fandom, they aren't otherwise sports fans. Did you grow up as a big professional sports fan? Did you play any sports growing up? And, you know, growing up in the UK, was football something that was big in your house and in your community? Oh, football was huge in my house. My dad and my brother are both humongous Manchester United fans and I am now but my love of sport came from Formula One so now I watch every sport I'll have cricket rugby on football I'll have everything on but that love of sport kind of generated from Formula One so now I'm 
obsessed with any sports and you know it's one thing that I definitely want to branch into as well different kind of sports away from motorsport so I guess we'll see where I head in the future but yeah I, not really as a kid growing up I was I was a ballet dancer this is the thing <laughs> I was not into football I did ballet I did musical theatre which is very very different to you know the right, world of right. Formula One so how I've ended up here is so confusing but yeah no it's uh, it all stemmed from F1 in 2017 really cannot say enough about the 2017 Azerbaijan Grand Prix even now and of course I think the reason that race is special for me might be a little bit different because of course that was Lance Stroll's rookie year and he had that breakout podium of course he he was almost on for a second place finish before Valtteri Bottas nipped him at the very last second but to me that's still one of the most memorable races that I've ever seen and it's cool that that might have been one of the moments that transformed you into a, a much bigger Formula One fan which leads to my next question so we're here sitting and talking and our paths crossed a couple of years ago because you were an incredibly talented upstart media personality broadcasting your thoughts and your passion your feeling about F1 and we did a couple of podcasts together which were excellent and I knew at the time that this is somebody that has a super high ceiling that this is somebody that's going to develop very very quickly but how and when did you decide that sharing your passion for Formula One on a public forum on a public stage when was it decided that that was something you wanted to do. And what was your first outlet for doing that? Wow. First of all, you're giving me a lot of compliments. You're going to have to stop with all of this. My head (laughs) might get too big. Um, No, I decided it was kind of during lockdown because as you know, I was studying and my uh, university course had been put on hold because of the pandemic. And I was I thought I need to do something with my life because I'm no longer at uni. I've, I've got hours and hours of my day to spare. So I thought, do you know what? I'm going to start a YouTube channel. And I kept saying it. I kept saying it throughout the beginning of lockdown in the early few months. And then I finally had an argument with uh, a man on Twitter who was arguing with me about Lewis Hamilton's push for diversity within F1 because this was right before the the 2020 season kicked off in July because it was you know delayed because of the pandemic and I remember it was the Thursday so it was literally media day for the Austrian Grand Prix and I was like no I've had an argument with this guy I need to show that you know there are women of color there are people of color there are women who love Formula One and I'm going to talk about it on a public platform because I kept saying I kept saying I was going to do it and then do you know what I think it was the argument with him that kind of really pushed me to do it because you know these people don't know that there are women of colour who are watching F1 unless you show them that there are so I decided you know I'd start my YouTube channel a person of colour as well speaking eloquently about Formula One you know I know what I'm talking about which is you know a sticking point of women people say that we don't know what we're talking about in Formula One so I thought you know I'm going to prove everybody wrong I'm going to start this YouTube channel and I don't think it was very long after that that you you found me and and brought me out of my shell a little bit more <laughs> that is that is such a, a fantastic story and i think the timing is perfect because and let's let's be totally honest that historically formula one has been dominated both on the track in the paddock and probably amongst sports fan principally by middle-aged white males and that's not necessarily the case anymore and if you look at the audience it's increasingly diverse and it's increasingly represented by women and people people of color. And these are fantastic things, but you don't necessarily know that historically, if you were to pick up your TV remote and put on Sky Sports, because the people that you're seeing and the people that you're hearing from are historically that same white middle-aged male. But fortunately, I think in the last couple of years, we've seen a real transition where people are 
becoming more interested and finding avenues and platforms to share their passion, whether it's social media or whether it's YouTube. And I think as well, the TV networks themselves are beginning to recognize that, hey, we need to speak to our audience as a whole, that our audience, our demographic is shifting. And I think we're starting to see that even with some of the bigger networks like BBC and Sky Sports, where their representation in terms of covering these races is increasingly more diverse, which is obviously a great, great thing. Uh, Question... For you, just on that, how have you seen, because I sit here admittedly, like my perspective is is pretty narrow because I'm that I'm exactly that white middle-aged guy that I was just talking about that has kind of been the historical backbone of support for the sport, but I don't get to have that experience of looking at the sport and the landscape through a different lens like my wife does and like you do. How effectively do you think F1 and the media networks that cover it are adapting to the new landscape, which is an increasingly broad audience and an increasingly diverse audience? Is Sky Sports, is Formula One, are they keeping up? Is there more that can be done? Um, or, Or are we in a good place already? It's a really interesting question because I think it's very, very obvious that there have been changes and there is progress being made towards creating a more diverse setting for Formula One. Uh, Sky Sports at the beginning of this season obviously introduced Naomi Schiff into their cohort of presenters and she's been doing a fantastic job. She speaks very well on Formula One. She has that racing experience so I think she's been a brilliant addition to the team. You know she's young as well. She's young and fresh and I think that she's great at catering to that younger and more diverse demographic. There is always more that we can do. And I think there's you can never stop. There's never a point at which you can say, you know, we've done enough for diversity. Let's sit down, put our feet up. We've had enough. Uh, I don't think there's there will, we'll ever get to that point. So it's, it's really great that uh, these networks are pushing for it more. Uh, it's whether we'll ever get to that place where, you know, there's true equality or we can really see ourselves within, uh, within Formula One as a meaningful part of it. I think the next question is, is an interesting one because, you know, when I went back to my high school period, so I graduated high school in 2000, I went to university in the early 2000s. When I left high school originally, my passion was I wanted to be a sports journalist. And I go into university that first year and I just realized in 2000, the the pathway, the journey to become a, a sports journalist is you get a gig writing for a small local newspaper in a small town making no money. And then hopefully maybe one day you get that big break to go for a big paper and become a beat reporter. But it was like one in a million, one in a million. And you would have to grind and grind for decades. And maybe that break never happens for you. The difference today, though, is we have all of these digital platforms where somebody can develop content and broadcast it to a global audience immediately. So social media, podcasting, and YouTube has, and I like this term, quote unquote, democratized broadcasting in a way that was totally unimaginable a generation ago. And I think if you look at some of these typical traditional media platforms, so it might be ESPN in the States, and it might be TSN, it might be Sky Sports, it might be the Washington Times or the New York Times. I think historically, they were very rigid in terms of who the face of their sports coverage was. Again, it was that typical white middle-aged guy because it reflected their audience. And I think while they've started to shift, I think a lot of young people with a unique perspective and a unique background have found ways to broadcast their message through these democratized platforms. Like I said, social media, podcasting, and YouTube. How do you think modern technology has given a voice and a platform to people that maybe previously would have been voiceless? Oh, it's so, so brilliant. 
the rise of social media. And do you know what? We can see that motorsport in general as well is buying into social media. The uptake in teams using it, in the drivers using it, especially in the last three, four, five years, you know, when Liberty Media kind of entered this sport as well, we've seen this huge, you know, increase in the use of social media around Formula One. And it's really stimulating fan engagement, which is fantastic. But what I think further stimulates that is all of the creators which help further the engagement of fans with Formula One. You know, on YouTube, there are so, so many creators and on TikTok as well. There's been this huge boom in the last year of TikTok creators. You know, they're all over the place and it's absolutely fantastic to see because, you know, there's there's a corner of the internet for everybody and there's, you know, an audience for everybody who wants to create their content. So it's really great that people are finding their own voices and being able to speak on these issues. And I think the, the rise of social media has also increase the accountability being held by Formula One and, you know, that its governing bodies and Liberty Media as well, because these people won't stay silent. So while while in the past we may have seen these, you know, the, the audience of Formula One just, you know, take what happens in Formula One in its stride, we're not seeing that anymore. You know, recently at the Japanese Grand Prix, the uproar once that tractor was on track from uh, Twitter, TikTok, it was huge. And I really think that Formula One, the FIA and Liberty Media really felt that outrage. You know, going back to Abu Dhabi last year, people made their opinions very, very clear. And so it just, it really demonstrates that social media is just this huge platform and that these people, you know, they are really pushing the FIA, Formula One and Liberty Media to, you know, uphold their values to kind of make sure that what they're doing is catering to the audience that's giving them that platform. In a sense, it gives a voice to the voiceless that if you're sitting at home and you were sitting at home watching this race and you saw this playing out and we saw how frustrated and angry, justifiably, Pierre Gasly was, but before social media, how would the fans, how would the fans articulate that? Are they going to write letters to their local MP to complain yeah. to Liberty and the FIA <laughs> about the way that the, the race was being managed? Like, it's very difficult. Strongly worded emails. Exactly, exactly. So social media gives people a voice. But the other thing that social media does is it allows people that maybe aren't exposed to these incidents to be exposed to them. And I'll be totally honest. Um, I knew what had happened because I was watching the broadcast, but it wasn't until you had sent a tweet of the camera on Carlos Sainz's car that showed Pierre Gasly whipping by that I realized it was crazy yes, but it, the only reason I saw that was because they didn't show it on the broadcast or if they did it was very briefly no. it was because you tweeted it so again it gives people a voice to have a conversation be part of the conversation of F1 but allows people to share information that they couldn't have shared in the past and to your point maybe fans would have taken it in stride in the past now they can't and it holds bodies like the FIA and Formula one way, 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 way more accountable. Steph, at what point did you realize that sports media was something that you could potentially do professional? I know when you and I were talking two years ago that you weren't doing it for a laugh, that, hey, if I'm going to do this, I want to be a professional and I want to do everything I can to be a professional and create opportunities for myself because I think I have a valuable message and a valuable perspective that the Formula One community could benefit from. But was there a specific point where you realized, aha, this is clicking, this is going to go really well, and I think there's going to be a big opportunity for me soon? It was a while before that point actually happened. Because as as I mentioned, I started my YouTube channel in July 2020. And then I think we came together in August. Yeah. Literally the month after. Um, 
And at this, at that point, I was kind of like, oh, do you know what? I'm enjoying this. I'd, I'd, I'd hit like a thousand subscribers no 100 subscribers it wasn't it wasn't big numbers at all and i was i was thinking do you know what this is really fun i'm enjoying this people seem to enjoy my opinions and i actually in in that august i was messaged by jack nichols who is the bbc f1 commentator and uh formula e commentator as well so he's pretty big in the industry and you know he messaged at the time and said i want you to apply for this formula e open talent call because that's what they were running at the time and i said to him i was I said, mm, uh, I'm not too sure about this. And he was like, you know, you're you're good. You've got great opinions. You've got great knowledge of the sport. Please apply. And so I said, okay, <laughs> ignored him for a bit. And then, you know, it got, a couple of, it got to a couple of days, you know, before the deadline. And I thought, do you know what? I'll do this. And it, I didn't get far. I didn't, yeah, I didn't get to the final numbers, but I think they were looking for someone with, you know, a really big social platform to kind of... Uh, bridge that gap between broadcasting and social media and my my platform wasn't all that big so I don't think I was what they were looking for and that was fine but Jack and I we are still really good friends now uh every time I'm in London we'll see each other whenever we're away at races and we'll run into each other you know we just ran into each other in the paddock in Qatar last year and I was like oh hi and he was like, hi, <laughs> what are you doing here? What are you doing here? Um, so it's really, really fun. We're great friends. Aww. And he he brought me to, in October of 2020, brought me to Goodwood Speed Week with Aurora Media Worldwide. And I did a screen test with them and, you know, some other presenting bits and bobs. And that was so fun. And I thought, do you know what? This is pretty cool. But still at that point, you know, no one had offered me a job. No one had been like, yeah, come present F1 for us. So I was, I was just kind of bounding along, doing my fun stuff. And then Jack had friends, Louise and Gemma, who run Loudspeaker Agency. He put me in contact with them and they thought, you know, I've got something. So they decided to sign me up, snatch me up. And at that point, even then, I didn't think it was going to be successful. I spoke to my mum. She was like, yeah, nothing's going to happen. Maybe, like, maybe, I don't know, maybe someone would be interested in you. But still, it was really quiet because this was while there was a global pandemic as well. So I, right, I was right. trying to think, you know, this isn't just because you're not good. This is because there's no jobs, because there's no right. audience for motorsport at the minute. You know, these the races are being broadcast to... There's, there's no fans at the circuit. So I was, tr- I was trying to remain positive. And I remember I was approached by FOM in like February, like March of 2021 to do this, the coverage for the Spanish and Portuguese Grand Prix for Track TV for Formula One. And I was so excited. I was like, oh, my God, this is going to be it. This is going to be it. And then they got cancelled because Spain and Portugal went into a lockdown. So that never happened for me. And I thought, you know, I thought that was going to be it. I thought that was going to be the big break. Um, but it wasn't. And and it wasn't until, you know, a bit later on that year, August, when I when I appeared on the Checkered Flag podcast with BBC F1 for the Belgian Grand Prix. It wasn't until then that I was really thinking do you know what there's an opportunity and even even now I'm I'm still oh when like will will I be you know this huge F1 media because I'm still I'm still working on it I'm not where I want to be yet and you know you're always grinding away uh so I don't know it's been a it's been a long one and I think imposter syndrome is a thing that everybody feels you know once they're in the media as well I have those days where I'm doubting oh will I be able to do it won't I be able to do it when will you know I get my huge huge break which I think I already have but um 
yeah, there's there's always those days, there's always those doubts, but you've just got to try and remember, you know, there's a reason. There's a reason why I'm doing this. There's a reason why people keep hiring me. And so, you know, just sleep soundly in that knowledge. 20, 30, 40 years ago, if you wanted to enter the world of media and journalism, you'd you'd have to pick a university that had a very specific journalism program that yeah, was renowned. Yeah, get a degree. Yeah, get a degree in journalism, for crying out loud, in a four-year program. And, and even then, the likelihood of being a success was, again, still one in a million like becoming a, a premier league footballer it was a it was a long shot and like you're saying here that everything that you've accomplished and all of the opportunities that you've had were earned because you developed a platform and you were brave enough to go and put your opinions out there obviously your opinions and your analysis is is next level so it, it was it resonated with people but it's just interesting that hey you know what generations ago you and i wouldn't be here sitting having this conversation and we certainly wouldn't know each other because we wouldn't have had all these opportunities to interact and share information and we live on opposite ends of the the world great point yeah that that's a great point <laughs> We're sitting here eight hours apart and 5,000 kilometers away from each other. But on that checkered flag piece, so people ask me all the time, Steph, they're like, what what F1 podcast do you listen to? And honestly, I don't listen to it a lot, not because there aren't some great ones, but the one that I listen to every single time it drops is the checkered flag podcast. And I was talking to my friend Magnus, who's the publisher of Race Weekend the other day, and he made a really great point, which is it's succinct. The chemistry between the folks on the show is exceptional, um, and their analysis is really good. And it was last summer, and I was I downloaded the episode as always, and I'm listening, and you're on the show, and I listened to the show, and it wasn't until the show was over that it dawned on me that you were on the Checkered Flag <laughs> Flag podcast. Like it just it just seems so natural, and your contribution to the show was so great. Talk about how that opportunity came about, because people ask me all the time, what are the biggest F1 podcasts? Because they they seem to think that these are publicly shared and analyzed that everyone has access to. They're not. That the world of podcasting is very different than YouTube where your numbers are upfront and everyone can see your downloads yeah. and your views. Podcasting is very, very secretive. <laughs> Nobody really knows, but it's generally understood that Checkered Flag may be the biggest F1 podcast on the planet. How did that opportunity come and were you nervous, excited, and how did you prepare for your appearance? I wasn't nervous. I was super excited, but it came about because, again, Jack Nichols and I made that connection the year before. So I think right. what's really important in this industry is a lot of the time it's not what you know, it's who you know. And I think it's really important to make those connections with people and make lasting connections because it's quite an exclusive club F1. So you kind of got to know somebody to get in, to get your foot in the door. So that's what's really, really important, especially with freelancers as well. You've got to, you know, always be forging relationships. So Jack said to me, he was like, oh, you fancy coming down to London? And I was like, oh, yeah, I'm already going to be in London for this other thing that I was doing. And he was like, oh, yeah, come on the, the Checkered Flag podcast. And I was like, oh, cool. Do you know what? Fun. Why not? Um, so I went and we had a really good time. Jolien Palmer <laughs> is so funny. Andrew Benson is just like an encyclopedia of F1 knowledge. I have a really good story, actually. Um, the day that we recorded that podcast was the day that Checo re signed an extra a, a, an extra year on his contract with Red Bull. And earlier in that morning, he tweeted on social media, like a clock emoji and the eyes emoji. And I was like, do you know what? This is a contract extension. And it got brought up on the podcast. And Andrew Benson turned to me and looked at me. He was like, what are you talking about? Checo is not getting a contract extension today. And I could just see it in his eyes. He was like, what on earth are you on about? And then we kind of broke for lunch. And then two minutes later, after we were all sat eating, 
it, the news comes out, he's got an extra year on his contract with Red Bull. And so we think, oh, oh we've goodness. got to go back and record that bit of the podcast. But I was also like, oh my God, I was right. You know, there's these people who have worked in F1 for countless years. But then I think as well, it really speaks to the power of social media. You know, I'm very active on the social platforms. So I was able to pick up on that, pick up on something that somebody else had missed, somebody who, you know, is is incredibly smart and, and incredibly involved in the F1 community. So yeah, he was very involved in the F1 community and I I figured something out that he didn't. So I I was really, really pleased with that. And, you know, I do think that the chemistry was there. I think I've slotted in quite nicely. And it was just a really, really fun experience. All of them afterwards said, you know, Steph, you did a brilliant job. Andrew said, you know, if you ever need anything, just give me a call. Um, which was it was it was just brilliant and it felt really, really nice. And then I was on the checkered flag a little bit later as well on their Black History special last year, which was which was fantastic. So it's a great group of people. I'd love to do some more work with them again in the future. So to be determined. Is the is the chemistry amongst them as as good as it comes across on the podcast? Because it just seems like they're a, a bunch of incredibly tight, a great group of friends that have great chemistry, uh, great trust amongst each other. And I'll be honest, I wasn't I wasn't the biggest Julian Palmer fan when he was driving, and I was actually no one when was. They first, Everyone yeah. says this, and I wasn't even. I was, so I was also pretty upset that he was getting involved with BBC when he was making this transition from Formula One racing to to media. But he's been been brilliant on that show and been brilliant for obviously he's involved with the f1 tv pro feed and and the podcast but i couldn't be happier with his contribution but it is interesting that so many people had that same perception of him when he was a driver no everyone says this they say oh no he wasn't a great driver but you know he's great at this and i think it's so so true you know his analysis is really really in-depth and it's it's the kind of analysis that you only get when somebody really knows what they're talking about. And and I don't think you always get that with XF1 drivers, but it just seems like Jolian knows exactly what's going on. He does a fantastic job. Him and Jack are so funny together. You can oh, just yeah. tell yes, they're yes, mates. Yes. They have such a laugh. Uh, and I think, you know, it, it makes it really, really interesting listen as well, you know, because they're not always just talking about what's going on on the track. You know, they're bantering, they're riffing between each other. And it can be really, really interesting. You know, in the depths of FP1, when it's raining, in, there's no cars out on the track and you're listening and you're thinking what could they really be talking about and they'll find something the two of them will be chatting away on that fp on that rainy fp one morning uh but yeah they're all great really great so that was that would have been around the belgian grand prix so summer 2021 yes. now so a little over a year ago and then it feels like and and please walk me through this because i i want to understand all of the opportunities that you had but all of a sudden in the back half of 2021 it seemed like and i know you spoke to the fact that hey my career is not where i want it to be yet yet and I still envision I plan for bigger things I'm working and grinding but in the back half of 2021 suddenly I see you on the track in Qatar and you're traveling with Formula One and then even throughout this year you're traveling and and you're doing broadcasting work talk a little bit about some of the opportunities that cropped up in 2021 some of the opportunities that you had and then the things that you've been working on through 2022 because I think a lot of our listeners have probably seen you and seen your work without having realized it because you've had some big opportunities in the last 15 to 16 months. 
Oh, it, it was so crazy. The end of 2021 was just such a great time. It was so chaotic, though, because I was going into my final year of university. So I it was it was all so quiet. And I went back to university. I was studying in Newcastle, which is about three hours away from from home for me. So I packed up all my stuff in my little car and I said, bye, mom, bye, dad. And I came back to university after having about a year and a half off due to this, you know, global pandemic. So I came back and maybe two days after I was back at uni, I got a phone a phone call from my agent, Louise. She said, uh, how familiar are you with F1 Esports? And I was like, OK, I'm pretty familiar with it. Why? She says they want you to come down next week and be on the show. So I was, I said immediately, yes. And I went down. Oh, no, the day we're recording this actually is the anniversary. So it was a year ago. Um, oh my gosh, congratulations. Thank you. Uh, and it was, it was, it was so fun. Came down, met the entire team. Jack, Jack Nichols had texted Alex Jakes prior to this and he said you know Steph's coming down to be on the esports show with you you know make her feel welcome make her feel super super nice and still friends with Alex Jakes as well he's so lovely always catching up with what I'm doing and trying to uh, keep on top of my progress so do you know I've met all of these people in this industry as well who are just so so lovely Uh, but it turns out actually the person that got me the F1 esports job was Natalie Pinkham she had heard me on the BBC F1 Checkered Flag podcast, thought, wow, you held your own really well. And she came, she went to the executives at F1 Esports and said, I want to bring this girl onto the show. And so they did. They gave me a chance. They gave me one show. And then I ended up staying for the whole season, which was, you know, absolutely amazing. And I had such a wonderful time with the crew. Everyone was was lovely. Had a great time on screen with, with everyone that was working with. Tom Deakin, fantastic. Also, I've worked with him this year as well. Can't get rid of him. He's he's an awesome, an absolute dream to work with as well. But yeah, that was that was the first kind of like huge thing that happened. And then I ended up working BTCC, British Touring Cars, uh, and did the final round at Brands Hatch, which was also really fun. And then, you know, about a week before the Brazilian Grand Prix, because I was on standby with FOM, they'd obviously, they know I speak Spanish and Portuguese. So I was on standby for both the Mexican and Brazilian Grand Prix, but they didn't know if I would be going. So it got to, you know, the week of the Mexican Grand Prix. So I thought, well, Mexico is probably not happening. Uh, And then it was a couple of days later, I remember being in university, I was in uh, a dissertation lecture. And my dissertation was all about Ayrton Senna and motorsport, obviously, because what else else would you do it on? Of course, of course. (laughs) So I was in this lecture and I I was getting a phone call from my agent. And I thought, you know what, let me step out and take this because I think it's going to be important. It was a Wednesday. And I stepped out and she said, Steph, you're going to Brazil. And I was like, ah! I was like screaming in the hallway. I was honestly, I'm I'm so sorry to anyone who was in the vicinity when that happened, because I was, bear in mind as well, I wanted to go to Brazil on my year abroad and they cancelled it. And that was supposed to be, I was supposed to go to the Brazilian Grand Prix as well. I was just so, so excited to go to Brazil and then, you know, 
COVID happened and I couldn't go. So the fact that I was going to be going to Brazil, this place that I've studied so hard, that I was I was working hard, I was really working on Brazilian Portuguese rather than Portuguese Portuguese. So the fact I was able to go was just insane. And so I got the call on the Wednesday and I thought, you know what, I need to go home because I need to pack. I have winter clothes. Newcastle is cold, guys. I'm telling you, it's freezing in Newcastle. And in Brazil, it was, it was summer. In Qatar, I was going to be going to Qatar the week after. Also really warm so I thought I have no appropriate clothes here in Newcastle I have to drive back down to Manchester pick up my sandals pick up my bikinis so that I'm ready you know for for lying on the beach in Qatar uh so I I drove home you know my mum did my hair she sent me on my way they drove me uh oh no I drove all the way down to Heathrow uh to to fly to to Brazil and and that was you know the moment that I was really I was sat on the plane because I flew I flew from Heathrow to Frankfurt and then Frankfurt to Sao Paulo because there's no direct flights from the UK to Brazil because it's far away as you know uh so I sat you know I had a bit of a panic I, I nearly missed a flight to Frankfurt but we ended up getting on it so I was I was kind of very you know high strung at that point and it was only once I was on the plane from Frankfurt to uh, Sao Paulo that I really sat and thought oh my god I'm actually going to work with Formula One in Brazil which is it's it's one of my favorite tracks it's one of my favorite locations for F1 as well and I was just kind of my heart was so full I said thank you to all of my friends who supported me I sent all of all of these messages to my mom and my dad saying you know thank you for for believing in me for supporting me always and uh yeah, then I uh, I flew away to to chase my dream. When you got to when you got to Brazil and, and you got to the track, what was the what was the sensation and experience like as you're as you're walking through the paddock, you're walking on the grid, and you're just surrounded by people that maybe maybe you've been up close and personal with before, but probably not. Like, th- was that the first time that you were just immersed in the entire circus of Formula One, the drivers, the team principals? What was the sensation and the experience in the moment like? Was it my head is down and I'm here to work or was there a moment where you just had to step back and just absorb it all before you could go forward oh definitely had to absorb it I mean the first day we came it was chucking it down it was raining uh it was hard as well and they just covered up the Brazilian Grand Prix paddock with kind of like a marquee so that the the paddock wouldn't get wet um, but it was a really, really interesting day, uh, just kind of meeting new people, meeting all the people uh, around F1. I was so tired as well because it was only like a three hour time difference, but that was a 12 hour flight. I was exhausted. Uh, I, but it was it was amazing. You know, I just looked around and and what I'll say to my to my friends, my family and what I said to my teachers as well when I got back was those five days that I spent in Brazil did so much for my oh, Portuguese wow. and I was just I was like walking around the paddock eavesdropping <laughs> on certain conversations with people I was I was you know talking to to people at the you know at food at like cafes and I was just you know I was just using the opportunity to kind of improve my Portuguese as well and you know I didn't I was so worried that I wouldn't be able to 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 speak Portuguese well uh, but I, I turns out I had nothing to worry about. It was all okay, you know. Everything comes to you in the moment. Uh, so yeah, it was it was really what really a first, magical. What an amazing first opportunity to get out there and be on the track, Brazil, to be immersed in the language that you've been studying at in university for years, and then such a legendary track, and of course a race that itself became 
uh, I would say, epic, historical in so many different ways to be there yes. in person. And then you jump from Brazil, which is this traditional, um, I shouldn't say old, well, traditional old school, but legendary track on the calendar with so much history. Mm. And then you go to the Middle East and you go to Qatar, which is totally different because it's a track that was designed for MotoGP and it's never hosted Formula One. So as the season's winding down and we're getting to that legendary finale in Abu Dhabi, suddenly we're at a Formula One track where most of these drivers have never been. What was the Qatar experience? Was was there nervousness, apprehension in the paddock about the fact that this is the first time we're here or we're drivers taking it in strides that we've done our sim work and how was that experience for you compared to brazil which obviously would be a very different culture and a very different atmosphere and environment do you know what it felt like qatar was a lot more laid back and i think one of the reasons for that was there were support races going on in brazil which means that you know it was there was always right. something going on on track whereas in qatar it was basically just f1 so teams and drivers they weren't running around you know for track time or for this, for that. It, everyone just seemed kind of a lot more laid back and chilled. I remember uh, doing an interview with Pierre and Yuki and they were like joking all the time. But we all know that Pierre and Yuki are the funniest pair and they're just so cute together. But yeah, they were they were so funny. They just, they were like, oh yeah, it's great to be here. Banter in between the two of them, you know, not even worried about the fact they've never raced this circuit before. It was just seemed like everyone was just taking it all in. Uh, there was obviously tension in the air, uh, being the, oh, what was it? It was the third to last round of the season. So there was a lot right, of tension. Right. Uh, but, you know, it, it felt kind of a lot more, I don't know, it, it felt lighter than it did in Brazil. I think there was a lot going on, you know, with the FIA as well that weekend, uh, that there was just a lot of tension in the paddock and Qatar was a kind of nice, nice break from that. So you've had the opportunity then now to be immersed amongst the drivers and, and all the personalities of Formula mm. One. And for so many people, um, we know them because of their social media, which is great because, again, it gives us a glimpse into their lives that we wouldn't otherwise have. But we've also gotten to know the drivers through things like Drive to Survive, based on what you've seen, are the presumptions and assumptions about their personalities and 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 their character and their charisma, does that line up pretty close to what we see on social media and Drive to Survive? Or are the drivers quite different than what we might expect them to be like? It's interesting you say that because there are some drivers, Daniel Ricciardo, I immediately comes to mind. He is exactly the same way that he's portrayed. You know, he's loud. He's smiling all the time. Everyone around him is just, you know, infected with his happiness. And I, I've said this so many times before, but he was so lovely when I interviewed him. He didn't have to take the time to be asking me about myself to say, you know, what's your name? He was one of the only drivers to be to say, you know, hi, I'm Daniel. What's your... I was like, I know it. I know you're Daniel. Uh, but he, I, I said, I'm Steph. And he was chatting to me about, you know, uh, where I was from, what I was doing. He said he liked my trainers. Um, I, I was asking him what he was, you know, up to in Brazil. And he was saying this and that. And, you know, we had a really nice chat. And you can just tell that he's one of those person people that just radiates positivity all the time, which makes it so sad to have seen, you know, what he's been going through in the last year because he's he's such a light in the paddock and I saw a quote today you know Daniel you know F1 will go on without Daniel Ricciardo but there'll be a lot less laughter in the paddock and it just really resonated because he is such a personality and he's just wonderful so he's very much the same you know Pierre and Yuki 
also the same, you know, fun, interesting, banterous characters between them. Um, Lewis very much had his head down that weekend, but he still took the opportunity. He said, you know, your hair is amazing. And I said, you know, right back at you, right back at you. And he was like, how long did it take? And this and that. And we were just, you know, had a bit of a conversation there. And I like to think that Lewis would remember me because he doesn't really get interviewed by many people who look like me. You know, we had the same hair. We bonded over that. Uh, but I don't know. You know, he gets interviewed a lot. So uh, we're yet to find out. Uh, but no, there are some, there are some great, great personalities in the paddock and it it was so amazing to just be immersed that's such a great story because of course if you flash back to qatar brazil we were going down to the wire and and lewis race mm. by race was scraping back the points needed to get into contention and talking about inclusiveness and, and openness that was of course one of the races where lewis was wearing that super sexy rainbow helmet mm-hmm. in qatar of, of all places and i have nothing but praise for him but it's awesome that despite all of that that he was still making time for media, that that he was still able to engage with other people and give interviews, despite the fact that you would expect and hope and and think that he would just be kind of laser focused yeah. on on the championship. And I think that's so cool. And I'll never forget, again, I was there, not there as media. I was there purely as a fan. But I'll always remember that I was at Yoss in 2016 when, of course, he won mm-hmm. the race but lost the championship to Nico. The morning of the race, um, they brought him on stage to do kind of a fan kind of a, a fan activity where he just kind of spoke to the fans and took some questions and they were very clear that Lewis isn't here to give autographs he's here for five minutes he's going to answer some fan questions and then he's got to go this this guy came off the stage and you saw his security scrambling his security was scrambling because <laughs> they weren't expecting it he got off the stage and came over and just started signing autographs and it was despite the fact that they'd cautioned everyone that this wasn't going to happen and clearly his security went into panic mode because they didn't know he was going to do it but I'm just like this guy is is hours away from the biggest race of his his life and he's making time for fans and I just that that always resonated with me and it always stayed that that moment always stayed with me but I'm sure he does remember you and I'm sure the next time you have the opportunity to interview you uh, you'll probably bond over over that moment and find something in common Fingers to talk crossed. about of course of course so with that I want to take a quick break because uh, we've got to pay some of those proverbial bills. But on the flip side, I have a couple more questions about how your 2022 has been. And then I want to get into some questions about Formula One. So for everyone listening at home, uh, give us 30 seconds and we'll be back on the flip side. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Welcome back to the podcast that is always up to speed with Formula One. My name is Mark Hamilton. Not joining me today, Mr. Mark Daly. And that's because we have the one, the only, the legend, the myth, Steph Wentworth. Steph, thank you so much for joining us. If you're just joining us now, it's just probably a little bit weird because I 
assume most people don't start their podcast 45 minutes in, but we've been talking about Steph's journey through media, the amazing opportunities she's had the last couple of years, all of which were earned and deserved because of the hard work that she put in and the, the risk that she took putting her opinion and, and herself out there on different forms of digital social media and, and media platforms. But Steph, Talking about the experiences that you had last year, you had the opportunity to go to Brazil, which was a great story. You had the opportunity to go to Qatar. Talk about some of the things and the opportunities that you've been working on this year, because you and I have been talking about doing a podcast together for forever, but you are one because of school, which I think is largely wrapped up now, but because of school, which is incredible that you are juggling full-time university studies while traveling the globe, uh, while traveling the globe to cover Formula One. How has your 2022 been and what have been some of your broad focuses this year? Well, 2022, thankfully, has been a lot quieter than the end of 2021, because that was just pure chaos. I was, I think I was at uni for five of the 11 weeks of the semester. And then I just, I just dipped. <laughs> I was, I was out of there. So I missed the whole of yep. November. And then uni accepted me to come back. And I ended up going to Saudi Arabia and doing the last couple of rounds of the F1 esports as well. So I did not go back to uni and they were not happy with me, which is understandable. You know, I'd missed a lot of content. <laughs> so when it came to, you know, the beginning of 2022, I really did need to get my head down. And I did, you know, I had to complete that that final year of uni. So I was working on my dissertation. I was hoping that, you know, I would have some more uh, work lined up, which unfortunately just wasn't the case. Uh, and I think that's for me, it's really important to share that side of things because it's not all positive. I'm not always, always working, especially as a freelancer. You know, there is times when there's no work for you, especially in the off season. You know, you think about January, February and March when Formula One is not on. Uh, There was nothing really, really for me to do. So it was it was really, really quiet. But I used that opportunity to kind of work hard with school and branch out into different types of motorsports. So I ended up working in June with MXGP, uh, which is motocross for those of you who who didn't know, because I didn't know beforehand. I'd never watched it. And it was so, so incredible. It's kind of like dirt bike racing. And uh, it was in Indonesia. It was so amazing. It took me four flights to get there. But, you know, the crew was so fun to work with. I had an absolutely outstanding time with them. I grew grew my motorsport knowledge so much. You know, this is why I don't like to always focus on F1. I think it's so important as well to do different types of motorsport because the knowledge that I was able to bring over there from my F1 and, you know, four-wheel motorsport knowledge was, you know, invaluable. And then what I gained from that as well was also super important. And I carry that knowledge and information with me into all of my other jobs, which was really fun. I've done a lot of esport work this year, did the V10R League. We ended up doing the final in Abu Dhabi, which was which was amazing. I wasn't supposed to be there, actually. It was supposed to be Tom Deacon in my place, but unfortunately, he ended up with COVID. So literally a day before the finals, they said, Steph, please, can you fly out? And I said, yes. So ended up flying out, hosted, hosting and, and commentating the, f- the finals for the V10R League, which was also super, super fun. Working again on BTCC, touring cars. It, it, it's just been, you know, here, there and everywhere. I was at Silverstone as well for the F1, which was an incredible race as, as we all as we all witnessed this year. But 
it's been it's been great and even though it has been quiet you know things are ramping up again in the next couple of weeks I've got quite a lot on doing the sim racing world cup in Monaco which should be absolutely fantastic and also hosting the FIA at motorsport games in a couple of weeks which is that's going to be so so fun we've had meetings and stuff it's going to be held in France and it's it's so many different disciplines of motorsport there's rallying esports karting endurance racing there's so many different uh, aspects of motorsport that are all coming together for this games it's like the olympics of motorsport it's so cool wow. so i'm really excited to be able to work on that in the next couple of weeks but yeah just you know wanting to soak up as much experience from everything that i could possibly do uh, and everything that i have the opportunity to present to host to immerse myself in you know it's so so rewarding Steph, I cannot, I cannot praise you enough, and I, I'm coming across as such a fanboy <laughs> during this podcast. But I, I cannot praise you enough for for that attitude, which is, look, I think a lot of people might go into this with, I like F1, I'm an F1 fan, I'm going to pigeonhole myself with F1, and in your mm-hmm. case, it's like, no, like I will expose myself to every racing discipline, physical or virtual, as possible because it makes me far more versatile. It makes me much mm-hmm. more um, transactable in the sense that I could be open to far more opportunities. Because like you said, you know what, F1 is, it's a pretty contained world and there aren't always a ton of opportunities, especially for freelancers. But because you've been exposing yourself to so many different sports, you create all these different opportunities. Like, hey, maybe next weekend I'm I'm doing motor... GP because I've created a relationship mm-hmm. with Dorna or I'm doing Formula E and then next like it's it's cool. So again, I'm going to stop kind of gl- <laughs> blushing here, but I think it's it's my very, head very cool is approach. expanding by the minute. Steph, having said all of that, um and before we kind of transition into some questions about Formula 1 because I think it's going to be really cool for our listeners to hear some of your analysis and some of your thoughts on the sport. Where do you see yourself or in a perfect world, where would you want to be five years from now? Because again, you're still so, despite the fact that you're really two and a half, a little over two years into this journey, you've accomplished so much already. Where would you want to be in in five years? Is developing and building something of your own, something that you would be interested in or partnering with an established media company? What would be your perfect scenario five years from now? If you'd have asked me this a couple of months ago, I would have immediately said, Uh, working for whichever broadcaster has the rights in the UK to Formula One when Sky's contract comes to an end at the end of 2024. But as we know, Sky have extended their contract to the end of 2029, I think. So (laughs) we're having to rethink this one a little bit. I do want to be working for a broadcaster. I think that's the, the... the best way at the minute to kind of get yourself out there. And I think it's really important, as I touched on before, you know, Naomi Schiff coming into the sport. I want to see that representation in media of people that look like me. And people have said to me already, you know, I'm inspired by what you've done, which is incredible. And it just, it it makes me so warm and fuzzy that I've had that impact. Because I said at the beginning of my journey, you know, even if I can inspire one little girl, one black little girl to pursue her dreams in Formula One, in sports media, in whatever she wants to do, then I'll be happy with that. So I'm really, really pushing for that representation and to be that representation for for other little girls. You know, that representation that I didn't have. So that is one of my long-term goals and I'm still working towards it. But I don't want to be 
like I've said, pigeonholed in F1. You know, I'd still like to be able to, you know, go over, do the odd World Endurance Championship race, or go and do an episode, an episode? <laughs> go do a, a race at MotoGP. That was an odd way to phrase it. But no, I, I, I like to be flexible and I want to still be consuming that knowledge because I, I think my education has just always made me want to consume knowledge and I don't think I'll ever be done. Let's, uh, let's pivot a little bit to... To Formula One right now because the reason yes. that the reason that I was so excited when I stumbled across your when I stumbled across your YouTube channel a couple of years ago was I was I was simply looking for an individual that had a really good grasp of the sports and could articulate their thoughts and opinions and of all the people that I looked at you by far and away far and away ran circles around them question for you. You know, we're we're now 10 months. It seems like the 2021 season yes. is in our rearview mirror, but because of things like mm-hmm. the cost cap compliance <laughs> certificates, it just keeps resurfacing. But reflecting back, how would you, putting all of that aside, reflecting back, how would you rate 2021 amongst all-time championships? And if it's not your favorite, which is totally fine, which is your favorite Ooh. championship? Do you know what? 2021 was incredible in so, so many ways. The fact that, Lewis Hamilton and Max Verstappen went into the final race exactly equal on points after everything that happened. The fact that there were half points as well awarded at Spa and they had 0.5 on their points tally as well. The fact that that (laughs) happened is so beyond me. And I think my opinion of 2021 is marred by how it ended. So I've, I've not been shy in sharing my thoughts in that you know, it ended in the the incorrect way and the rules were not carried out appropriately. I maintain that it was a safety issue and that the rules being changed made... The rules being changed created problems for safety because the lapped cars you know after after a safety car yeah uh, after the yeah. lapped cars are allowed to unlap themselves a safety car usually takes in one more lap to ensure that you know the the cars have caught back up to the back yeah. of the pack that didn't happen so for me that was the biggest point of contention is that there were so many issues here the track was going green when there were marshals on the track and whatnot it was it was it was problematic for me in terms of safety, which is first and foremost the most important thing when we talk about Formula One and when we talk about motorsport. If Lewis Hamilton had won in the way, or if Max Verstappen had won in a way that wasn't that, I would be so, so happy to say that 2021 was the best Formula One season ever. And I think a lot of people would say that too, because the racing between those two legends was absolutely incredible. And it's there's no doubt in my mind that Max Verstappen is going to go on to win so many more championships. Lewis Hamilton potentially breaking that record that he's already equaled with Michael Schumacher for the seven world championships. So these two are just incredible. They are great racers. And I'm so, so pleased and privileged that I got to witness them racing and that we got to watch that piece of history in 2021. It was fantastic, but I can't, I can't say it was my favorite. You know, there are, there are seasons like 2012, which I've watched back, you know, seven, seven different race winners in the opening seven races. That was absolutely fantastic. We will never see that again in Formula One history. It just, it just won't happen. So that was great. You know, 2007, there was a lot of drama. Lewis Hamilton's debut season, the best rookie debut season we've ever seen in Formula One history. We will never see one that was better just because of the way Formula One works now. 
so yeah, I don't know if I really answered the question then. I think I kind of skirted around it, but it, it it's an interesting one. Okay. No, you, that was perfect. It was perfect. That 2021 was a phenomenal championship that was led by two historically talented drivers that was unfortunately marred by an incorrect application of the rules in, in the final race. And, you know, I, 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 I still, I'm still not happy about it, but I think my perspective has been this, that if I'm going to be stew, if I'm going to stew Absolutely. on it and I'm going to be angry about it and I'm never going to let it go, I might as well walk away from the sport because it was a human error. The FIA chose not to change the outcome of the race. And either I live with that and I move on and I continue to enjoy the sport for what it is, an entertainment product, or I walk away. But I totally agree that if the championship had been decided in any other way, regardless of whether it was Max or Lewis, I think you could clearly make the argument that it's the best of all time. But, and it's funny that you talk about 2012. Like I was, I was kind of doing a little bit of research recently, like 2010, the championship was decided um, by just points that you had four drivers within 16 points of, of winning the championship. And of course, 2012, it was just a couple of points separating Sebastian Vettel and Fernando Alonso. You had a flurry of different drivers scoring race wins to kick off the first half of the season my and this kind of ties into my next question which is you know i say it's early but liberty's been controlling and running f1 now for five years and they've made some pretty transformational changes obviously the financial regulations with the cost cap is a big one which is designed to create some more competitive parity they've introduced new aerodynamic regulations which are designed to simplify the car and make it easier to follow are you or do you think we're starting to see some of the benefits from Liberty's hugely ambitious changes? Because the Formula One that we're all watching now is very different than oh, the Bernie absolutely. Eccleston Formula One. And I have to argue that for the better in <laughs> virtually every way, the fact that we don't have grid girls anymore and the fact that Liberty's finally embraced or Formula One's finally embraced social media, these are good things. But the big transformational stuff like the aerodynamic regulations, the financial regulations, is the sport starting to see the benefit from this? Or do you think it's going to take a couple more years before some of these benefits trickle into the racing? Such a multifaceted question there that I can't wait to dive into. Oh, I'm I'm so excited (laughs) for this one. Uh, in terms of aerodynamic regu- no, let's start with social media, actually. Liberty Media have done a fantastic job in increasing Formula One's audience and making it accessible for younger audiences. And the only way that they can kind of go further with that is to kind of look into pricing and and that side of Formula One because Grand Prix are very expensive. You know, Silverstone is one of the most expensive Grand Prix on the calendar and it's n- not feasible for a lot of, you know, young people to be spending hundreds of pounds on on these Formula One tickets. And, you know, merch is super, super expensive, but there's always that demand for it. I think Liberty Media have done a fantastic job in terms of the business side of Formula One. They've really, you know, transformed what Formula One means as a business and really focused in on that young people, particularly young women audience. And they are such a huge part of it now. They are they will spend the money on, you know, merch. They are just, you know, huge consumers of Formula One. I think it's fantastic. And Liberty Media has done a great job with that. Aerodynamic regs. Let's talk about that. I think they've made Formula One worse for now, but it will change. You know, as as the new regs come in, there's new interpretations. Last year was so, so close. These cars were so close. And as, as you can see this year, the cars are further apart from each other. There's not that same, you know, level playing field that there seemed to be last year you know the gaps even between the midfield teams has kind of has definitely extended which is 
it's just it's unfortunate, but I don't think it's fair to say, you know, we're never going to change these new regulations. You've always got to have, you know, technical changes because Formula One is an innovative sport. You know, we always want to see innovation, innovation and changes towards the technical regulations. So I think while it's not yielded the the exact result that we wanted in seeing closer racing, you know, it has provided with some brilliant innovation and, you know, a new era of Formula One to look forward to. And in terms of the financial side, I think we should talk about this because I'd love to hear your thoughts as well on the financial regulations. Uh, there's obviously a lot going on with the uh, cost cap scandal right now. It's been confirmed that Red Bull have breached the cost cap in a minor way, which I think is, you know, less than seven and a half million dollars which you know just spare change really uh it's just just you know pocket change for them uh it's interesting because we haven't seen what the penalty is going to be yet for their breach but toto wolf has already come out and said you know he's willing to to spend extra money if you know it's just going to be a monetary fine uh and they're all angling for different outcomes you know Mattia Bonotto wants 2023 to be written off for Red Bull and Toto Wolf wants Lewis Hamilton to be re-given the 2021 championship but I think it's just important that whatever the FIA does it sets a precedent for the rest of the financial regulations because otherwise there was no real point in in the uh in bringing the financial regulations and the cost cap into Formula One if there's not going to be a serious and proper punishment for when that cap gets breached. I couldn't agree with you more. And I think I have to be, I I walk a bit of a tightrope here because I think our listeners obviously know that there's some inherent biases. And I promise that this isn't a bias and I'm not saying these things because it's Red Bull because I would have the exact same opinion if it was Mercedes or, or Ferrari. But I think the challenge is, and we're all up in arms now because we're starting to look at the financial regulations. And the latest version was published on like February 22nd of this year. So it's been around for a very long time. But the challenge is when I look at the the financial regulations, they're so ambiguous. So here is what the potential penalties could be, some or all of these. It could be a public reprimand. You spend between $1 and $7.25 million over the cap. Your punishment could be a reprimand. It could be a deduction of driver's championship points from last year. It could be a deduction of driver's constructor's points, or it could be a deduction of constructor's points from last year. It could be a suspension from one or more stages of a competition. It could be limitations on the ability to conduct aerodynamic testing, or it could be the reduction of the cost cap moving forward. That It's all very arbitrary, and it's also open to interpretation, and that ultimately somebody is going to make the decision about what, if any of these, apply to the Red Bull scenario. And I couldn't agree more with you that the entire integrity of the sport now is based on the fact that all of the teams comply with the cost cap. And I think it's challenging because we have these rules and the financial regulations that leave it open to the interpretation of somebody, somebody, some judge to make the decision about what the penalty should be. And if it's not a significant penalty, if I'm Mercedes, if I'm Ferrari, if I'm any of these teams that have the financial capacity to spend over the cap and I can do it knowing that the punishment's not going to risk a championship I'm going to do it every single time so the fact that a team did overspend in the first year that it's being implemented it needs to be met with a heavy response but again when I look at the financial regulations and I look at the rules so if you look at section 9.1 the following sanctions like the listed possibilities the sanctions they could be the nuclear option which is hey we are going to do a deduction of driver's championships points and we're only going to take 10 but 
that's enough to cost that's enough to cost Max's championship or it could just be as simple as a public reprimand. And again, the other challenge here too is that this minor sporting penalty, this could apply to an overspend of a dollar or seven and a quarter million dollars. And like Martin Brundle said the other day, that amount of money could build a B-spec car. And it's just, it's unfortunate that while they finally did share the teams that were compliant with the cost cap, when they started handing out the cost cap uh, certificates of compliance, they didn't tell us what the overspend was. But my opinion, to be totally honest, is the financial regulations need to be reworked. And I'm not mad at the FIA here because obviously Liberty, the teams, and the FIA themselves put these together that they all signed off on this, but they need to be stricter. It needs to be, if you spend a dollar over, there is only one punishment and the punishment is this. It's just Absolutely. very ambiguous. Do you know what I mean? I, 100%. I feel like that's such a... Uh... A recurring theme right now yes the yes regulations are just so ambiguous because even if we look back to abu dhabi sorry to bring it up again last year yeah, no, but the safety car wording was so ambiguous and that's what allowed massey to get away with what he did and so what really needs to happen is there needs to be very very clear wording in sporting regulations financial regulations that this is what should be happening or this should be the outcome of this and there just seems to be no clarity surrounding kind of the regulations even you know at the Japanese Grand Prix when we talk about you know the tractor being on track sorry I keep bringing this up as well because it was very very recent it's right in my head um but you know there's no clarity as to when and when that should when or when that shouldn't be a thing when it should be implemented or when you know when when visibility is low there should never be a tractor on circuit you know that that isn't specifically written in the rules and you know there there just needs to be i think an overhaul and a complete rewriting of all of the regulations that formula 1 follows so that there is that clarity the next time we approach a situation which has ambiguity so that we can clearly say no this is what the outcome is i couldn't agree more and i was doing a podcast the other day with tim haraney from tsn and he made that great point that they just need to be simplified streamlined that you can't have a situation yep. which is hey the penalty could be one of these 17 different things and not <laughs> not clarify who would be that would actually adjudicate and who would decide what the penalty is and then furthermore yeah. why do teams have so much runway to lobby the the penalties that are applied to them it just it bogs down the sport i think it frustrates fans and i think fr fans lose um trust in the fia and again I, i'm not a huge fan of the fia and the next question is about the fia but when it comes to <laughs> the financial regulations and the technical regulations and the sporting regulations, the teams in Formula One sign off on this. Like they are put in front of the teams and the teams agree to this. So if all of a sudden Matteo Bonato and Toto Wolf are really upset about the potential outcome of the overspend, it's like you guys signed up to what these regulations state. And if you wanted yeah. an immediate disqualification, you should have campaigned for that last year. Mm -hmm. So pivoting to that next question, how would you, how would you summarize the performance of the FIA in the last couple of years? The FIA has become a really easy target for criticism how much of it do you think is earned and how much of it do you think is unearned and should potentially be directed somewhere else such as to liberty and teen the for teams? me the fia receives criticism because it is the governing body it is the overarching body of formula one that makes all of these important decisions but the body that makes the decisions is always going to be receptive to criticism they're always going to they're always going to receive it it's it's full stop it's going to happen i will always say that the fia has gone downhill since the very unfortunate passing of charlie whiting massey was appointed 
as race director following, you know, his unfortunate death. And I don't really think he, he, he was the most qualified person for the job, but I don't think he was qualified in the same way that Charlie was. He doesn't have those same leadership qualities that Charlie, that Charlie had as a race director to be able to see a problem and rectify that issue. You know, I, there's one part in Brazil last year where, you know, uh, you know, the race director will send uh, an incident to stewarding if necessary. And, you know, there was an incident where, you know, uh, Max went off the track or whatever and he thought, you know, no no investigation necessary. And that's just really indicative of what happened for the last two, three years of Formula One. You know, it's been very messy, very inconsistent. That's the word that I've been using literally since I started my YouTube channel, that there's just inconsistencies throughout the FIA. And I think as a body there needs to be some changes. So I think stewarding in general needs to be changed. You know, there's different stewards every weekend. They all have different opinions. They all have different biases. There needs to be some clear, you know, issues. Track limits this year is one thing that the stewards, that the FIA has kind of really pushed for. You know, the white line is the track limit. Uh, But sometimes I don't think that's completely enforced when it should be a very, very easy thing to see. Oh, that's happened you're getting your lap wiped out. It should be very, very easy to enforce, but it's not. And I think, you know, a governing body, it needs to have more consistency. You know, even if we look to to fo- football, for example, or other sports, you know, there's there's never complete clarity and complete agreement with the the outcomes of, you know, investigations, penalties, you know, VAR is heavily criticised in football. And all of these things have their inherent problems. But I feel like the FIA is very complacent with itself and its procedures and its the way it is run and the way it is... is yeah, the way it is run. <laughs> um, <laughs> sorry, that just went... I was just waffling there. Uh, and there needs to be some changes in terms of the way it, it you know, carries out its processes. Steph, we talked about this a, a little bit earlier in the podcast. And and I want to share kind of a personal story here because I, I'm sure you can probably better relate oh, than, I, than I can. But I sit here. I love stories. Well, good. This one, this one, this one is this one's interesting. <laughs> so, my wife and I, as you know, we live in Vancouver. And for anybody that's not familiar with this mm-hmm. city, it's one of the most diverse and multicultural cities on the planet. And it's the only city in North America where more than half of the population is a visible minority. And so, I'm used that when I go out here, everywhere I go, it's it's diversity and it's Vietnamese people and, and people with Korean descent and people of Persian descent. Um, it's it's beautiful and it's the reason I love being here and it's the reason that I probably would never never leave this city and and I'm just used to that level of kind of diversity and multiculturalism and when I'm not surrounded by it it's a little bit unsettling and a couple of years ago I took my wife for the first time to the village that I'm from in Devon so South Devon in the UK and Devon's a lovely place with lovely people but it's 98% white and when I took my wife there for the first time and she's a person of color um we walked from the car to the Airbnb or the hotel that we were staying at. And when we got there, she kind of pulled me aside and she was like, I'm very uncomfortable. And I'm like, well, what do you mean? And she's like, I've never been somewhere before where I'm the only kind of person of of color and everybody is looking at me. And I don't think they meant anything by it. I don't think there was any negative intent, but obviously she was very uncomfortable in that moment. And it was really a kind of an inflection point for me because that's not something I'd ever experienced. 
but it really opened up my eyes to the experiences of people generally that that don't necessarily look like a white middle-aged guy that lives in a North American city and has a good job and lives in the suburbs that that people have different experiences and one of the things that I started to look at at that point was the sports that I followed and you know I watched a lot of F1 and I watched a lot of MotoGP and this is going back back to 2016 but I remember looking at F1 at that point saying the people broadcasting the sports all look a very specific way. And I don't think it reflects the audience that they're speaking to at this point. And certainly the audience has changed dramatically since Bernie left for good, for the better, um, and has transformed and become much more diverse. But in F, and again, this is a long rambling question, but in 2020, F1 launched their We Race as One campaign. And we talked, kind of teed this up a little bit earlier, but what more can Liberty and the FIA do to improve inclusivity in the sport and continue. And we say this in the in the shadow of the W Series having to cancel their last three races because of a lack of funding. But what more can both Liberty and F1 can do to continue improving the inclusivity of the sport and make it welcoming for people of different genders and people that are of color that they're doing things and it's good but I don't think we're at the end destination yet. Is there anything that you can see that they can do better, both the FIA and Liberty? Well, I'm a big fan of grassroots projects. You know, you can't immediately change motorsport because, you know, there's a process to follow. We're not going to see a female driver immediately in this sport because we have to increase the pool of, of, of female carters to begin with, you know, from a very, very young age, if we want to even see one of them potentially make the top level. And, you know, it's really, really disappointing that W Series has um, has had to cancel its last three rounds of the season. You know, it's, it's a huge platform, you know, as a support race of Formula One as well, it's a huge platform for these women to be able to showcase themselves. And, you know, the racing has really improved, you know, in 2019, to now it's it's improved vastly and you know I really enjoy it Jamie Chadwick is just she's running away with the championship all the time I need if if W Series comes back in 2023 and I really hope it does Jamie Chadwick is banned from the season that's what I would do I would ban her yes totally agree <laughs> in the totally best agree. way possible but she's much too talented yeah. to, to, to just stay there now you know she's accomplished what she needs to accomplish in that series and she needs to move up into an F3 seat and I think the problem that I see with, you know, Liberty Media, you know, they have the funds. If they wanted to, they could have funded the last bit of the W Series uh, this, of the season and, you know, just made sure they could get to Mexico and Cota, which, you know, just two more locations. I know they're quite far away, they're flyaways. I know it would be expensive, but if they wanted to, they could have foot that bill to ensure that they still had, you know, W Series running alongside Formula One, which is so great because, you know, even when W Series was on Channel 4, people weren't watching it as much because it wasn't, you know, an F1 support race, whereas now it's broadcast on F1, Sky Sports F1, alongside, you know, F1, and they have all of this stuff going on throughout the weekend to inter integrate F1 with W Series. You know, Lewis Hamilton, been to the W Series paddock, walking around, getting to know all the girls. And I think it just shows how far we have to come in terms of making F1 an inclusive place. You know, Jamie Chadwick is probably the top uh, f woman in junior formula right now, and even she doesn't really have a way into Formula 1. She can't get onto the actual junior formula ladder at Formula 3. And, you know, there's we see in Formula 2, you know, it's a very, very whitewashed grid of, of men. And so 
I think there just needs to be a conscious effort to ensure that, you know, we're trying to give those same opportunities to minorities because naturally in the world you know not just in motorsports outside of motorsports minorities are more discriminated against than than their white counterparts and so it needs to be a conscious effort you know more it's not just about equality it's about equity you know for so long they've been discriminated against that they need extra to help them get to that place where you know they can compete on an equal and level playing form playing field with their counterparts and so that's what i think uh, f1 and liberty media can do you know there still needs to be that push no complacency you know we're not at that point yet where we can put our feet up and like i said before we will never be so we've constantly got to be looking for ways to improve i completely agree and i was greatly disheartened that f1 couldn't write that formula one that liberty that the fia couldn't come together and write a check for five million dollars to help that that season complete and i just think i think the good will and the fan service that you would accomplish by doing that would probably never be forgotten. And the fact that that opportunity existed and they decided, they consciously decided that, hey, we're going to pass on this, despite the fact that we are more flush in cash and we have more sponsorship dollars and more TV money than we've ever had. The fact that they were willing to pass on that opportunity grates me, grates me really wrong. And, you know, you, you touched on something. Do you know what I think? What, what? Sorry, I was just gonna say they should get Red Bull as as their punishment for overspending. <laughs> since they love to flash the cash, they love to flash the cash at Red Bull. They should get them to fund the rest of W Series. That's it. the solution. I love it, and I would sign. <laughs> I would sign up for that in a heartbeat. And and I'll be honest too that I and I like that point that you made that you know what inherently systemically um, people of color and minorities have always been um, they've always been. Um, at a significant disadvantage when it comes to education and employment opportunities. And for me, I think the W series should function as a temporary mechanism for five or 10 years to help expose young girls to the fact that women can compete and they can compete at a very high level and give them give them this window into an opportunity that could exist for them. And hopefully that would encourage as many young girls to get into karting as possible. Because I've said this before, in our lifetime, we're going to have not one, but multiple women racing in F1. I just, I think at this point, they're probably six or seven years old and they're probably stepping into a cart for the first time because most women haven't had the same developmental opportunities as their male counterparts. And for me, the W Series is about bringing exposure to that opportunity. And then hopefully 10 years from now, Steph, we don't need a W Series because women are regularly competing and winning in in F4 and F3 and F2. But in the meantime, the W Series acts as this really important bridge. Now, I know I didn't give you a heads up on this question before, but you obviously have a really good understanding of the global landscape. Are there any young women globally racing today that you should think that outside of W Series that we should be paying attention to? Oh, do you know, I've... Somebody asked me this question last year. Do you think there will be a female Formula One driver in the next 10 years? And I said no, because none of them are there yet. But the one person that I think could make it is Juju Noda. She's a Japanese uh, racing driver. And do you know what? She All of her junior career has been, has been great so far. She was in W Series as well. And I think, you know, if she's given the right conditions to be able to develop properly, she 
has a lot of potential. So she's still quite young. I think she's only about 15 right now, 15, maybe 16. I don't know. Very, very young. But uh, no, I think she she could make it depending. I mean, she's going to need the backing of uh, of a Formula One team for any shot of making it into F1. But I think maybe if we, if there's one to watch, maybe it's it. her. That's a fantastic shout out. And not somebody I'm super familiar with and our audience probably isn't either, but we'll definitely link to her on social media so people can check out her mm-hmm. and some of her fantastic accomplishments as I bring her up here on Google. Before we go, I've got one more question and then I want to jump into some super fast rapid fire questions just so our listeners can get to know you a little bit more. <laughs> so my last question on on kind of the outline here is F1 silly season this year did not disappoint. From Oof. your opinion, what made this one so memorable so epic and so historic i think really the point at which silly season this year just exploded was when oscar piastri released the tweet saying i will not be (laughs) racing for alpine next year and everyone was just like what alpine have literally announced that him as a driver and he's saying uh no i have a contract with someone else i ain't gonna be racing for alpine it was i'm sorry it was absolutely mad and I, I'm, I'm very disappointed with how Alpine and McLaren have both kind of handled the situation because I do love Daniel Ricciardo and I think he's fantastic. So the fact that they kind of, they'd, they'd signed a, a contract with Oscar Piastri and Daniel Ricciardo, you know, a week later released a statement on social media saying he's committed to McLaren, they'll be continuing together. And McLaren just let him release that statement knowing, knowing that he, he wasn't going to be racing for them next year. So I'm really disappointed in that. But I understand how it goes, you know, you've always got to make the best decisions for a business. And this isn't the first and only time, you know, a driver has been dropped from their contract early. You know, Sergio Perez and Racing Point, thinking back to 2020, that was a really, you know, high profile case as well. Um, and I'm, I'm, I'm really happy for Pierre Gasly to have got that shout up to Alpine. I'm really happy for Nick DeVries. I am honestly one of the biggest Nick DeVries fans out there. I'm so glad he's going to have a shot in F1. But I'm finding it really, really hard to be happy for Pierre and Nick just because I know that that has meant that Daniel Ricciardo doesn't have a seat on the grid. I In my I'm, in my heart, I thought he was going to be going back to Alpine. I really thought they'd have him. He and Esteban were a great pairing. So I don't know. I'm very, I'm very all up in arms about it. Uh, I think it's been crazy, which I love. I love crazy silly season. I think it's so, so fun. We won't see another one like this for a good while. Um, but yeah, my heart does break for Daniel Ricciardo. The biggest podcast that we've had in probably the last six months was the episode in the week following the Fernando Alonso news and the <gasps> Oscar Piastri news. That that episode just did bonker, bonkers numbers for us. And, <laughs> and what made that Oscar Piastri tweet so memorable is it was only a month before that we sat here. We're not a big indie show, but we sat here breaking down the fact that Alex Palo did the exact same thing with an indie team Crazy. that announced that he was going to be. Literally. And then and we, were talking, we were talking like, well, this is the kind of thing that could never happen in F1. Indy needs to get their professionalism together. And a month later, it happens <laughs> in F1, and I fall off my deck chair when I read the tweet. Just amazing. Oh, Steph. So I've got some rapid-fire questions here before we let okay. you go, and I cannot thank you enough. We've certainly ran over the time I promised we would keep you. The first one, and I know you're going to disappoint me with this one, but who is your favorite music artist to get pumped up to? When you're working out, going for a run, going to the gym. Oh, a run? No, could never be me. Oh, that's not me. I'm not a runner. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, I'd say the Sherlocks. They're, they're an indie band from Sheffield. You have actual musical taste where I just go straight to the top 20. <laughs> the Billboard Top 20. Just give it to me. Just force me the Billboard Top 20. What is the, what's the last movie that you watched? Oh. Oh, no. What was it? 
Uncharted with Tom Holland and Mark Wahlberg. How did you like it? Oh, I love it. I love anything with Tom Holland in it. I Likewise, I love anything with Mark Wahlberg. So okay. uh, we've got a match there. <laughs> match in heaven. Your favorite F1 personalities. So favorite F1 personalities on the grid today. You've met them. You've been around. You've broadcast. You've interviewed. Who are your favorite personalities? And I, I'm assuming Daniel Ricardo has got to be one of them. Oh, yeah. Pierre and Yuki. I've already said, I've already said all of them. You know, uh, Toto's a great personality as well. Insert them all. I, I can't pick. Your favorite social media platform. TikTok. TikTok? Okay, fantastic. I, okay, you have now, just by saying that, convinced me to finally break down and get a TikTok account. So I, you will be the first do person it. I follow. I promise. Yeah. Uh, favorite favorite thing to do with your friends in the off season. So, you know, that F1 season's wrapped down. You're on winter break. You're away from university. You're, you're relaxing from studying. What's your favorite thing to do with your friends? Oh, just go to the pub for a pint. Your favorite interview, the best interview you've ever done or the most insightful interview you've ever done or the most impressed you've ever been with somebody that gave you their time. Oh, well, obviously Lewis Hamilton's up there, but a rogue answer. I interviewed Anthony Davidson in like 2021 and the rest of his World Endurance Championship team. And they were all great. I loved Antonio Felix Acosta. We did the whole thing in Portuguese as well. It was fantastic. But Anne Davidson provides such an incredible insight. We were talking, it was supposed to be a 10 minute interview. We were talking for like 40 minutes. He was incredible. Oh, that's fantastic. And I think you hinted at this one before we got started, but what is your favorite team um, and what is your favorite sport? So your favorite professional sports team and your favorite sport, aside from Formula One. Oh, Oh, okay. Football and Manchester United. I'm a red through and through. Very good. Very good. And the final most important question that we ask everybody that comes on the show, when you sit down for a challenging game of Mario Kart, which character do you choose and why? Ooh. Oh, well, I like to be my me, but if I can't be my me, then I will always choose a baby character. Maybe like Baby Toad. I love it. Perfect. Okay. This was, uh, Steph, I cannot thank you enough for your time. This was fantastic. I know I promised we wouldn't go over an hour and here we are at an hour and a half. I cannot thank you enough. How can our listeners follow you? Where can they find you on social media? Where can they find your YouTube channel? And where can they check out some of the great work that you're doing from a, a broadcast perspective? Well, I'll, I'll be tweeting about all the work that I'm doing, tweeting and Instagram and all my social media, uh, Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok. You can find me at Steph Wentworth underscore. And I'm still all about Steph One on YouTube. So you can find me over there. I don't post as regularly now, but there's a historic back catalogue of a lot of stuff uh, that you can sink your teeth into, should you fancy. Um, But thank you so much for having me. I've had such a wonderful chat with you. Oh, it does make me yearn for the old days when we used to podcast together. And it's, it's made me feel very reminiscent. I've enjoyed this very much. So thank you. I cannot thank you enough. For everyone listening at home, thanks once again. If you enjoy what you hear and you like this show, we'd love to hear from you. You can follow us on Twitter at f one pod And if you have the time and you'd like to bless us, if you can give us a rating on Spotify or a rating and a review on Apple, we would greatly appreciate it. Once again, thank you so much for joining in. Until next time, have a great week. Bye for now.